0: I'm Mike Tucker.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Talbot. Tell me
0: about this period of darkness you went through, a, a difficult time when you felt impressed to leave the ministry that you've been given at that time.
1: Yes. You know, uh, it's interesting because most women have their identity from their family and mm-hmm. most men have it from their profession. Right. You know, but, you know, I don't have my children of my own. I have a whole family with stepchildren and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much my career became my identity right. um, and as a minister, I was the senior pastor of a church, uh, the only woman senior pastor at that time in our conference. And of I,
0: your denomination. Oh, of my in, denomination, in yeah, the Seventh-day yeah.
1: Adventist Church here in, in the California area, in Southern California area. And, you know, all of a sudden I get this impression from God that uh, I need to uh, leave the ministry, which actually is really thriving. It's going well. I mean, the the, the church is happy, and I am happy. Mm-hmm. We're all having fun together in this church that I have to devote myself to studying because uh, there will come a time where a ministry is given to me that I won't have time to study as much and Mm -hmm. I will be, you know, which is what happened eventually with Voice of Prophecy. But I didn't know that then. And so I am kind of arguing with God. Is this really true? I mean, am I supposed to leave the ministry? So I go to different mentors, ask them, you know, what the situation is. And they say, well, we think that God, you know, is telling you to do this. You know,
0: I think that sometimes God does speak to us through an impression, but we have to make sure, as you did, that yes. this uh, agrees with His Word and with the counsel of godly men and women around yes. us. Yes,
1: I went through a whole process because in this case, it wasn't something that was um, something natural that would mm-hmm. happen at that time. And, and because I'm cautious, because I know a lot of people say, well, we have a dream, we have this, and I mean, God doesn't speak to me that way. He gives me a strong impression and He yeah. confirms it in many different ways through the Word, through other people, et cetera,
0: et cetera. Mine is, is very similar to that I've never heard his voice audibly and I've never had a dream that you know foretold anything or mm-hmm. gave me instruction but I think as we study as we pray then sometimes God speaks to us and
1: he, and he promises to guide us yeah, yeah, and sometimes in this case the guidance was was a uh, you know I had to give up everything, and and this is the part that I want to say, is that I never realized uh, how naked emotionally and spiritually I would feel, uh, losing all of my identity. You know, mm-hmm. I was no longer the pastor. Right. I didn't have a salary. I had to actually take a loan on my home to be able to be th- those few months, uh, even mm-hmm. surviving. I didn't have insurance. I had nothing. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I found myself in a well, who am I at this moment? It's a
0: very difficult place to find yourself, and I've been in that place as well. It's a... a, a too long a story to tell, but but when you strip yourself of those things, or when you find yourself stripped of those things, of mm-hmm. your identity, then oh, so it leaves you your security, your, security mm-hmm. your identity, you don't know where you fit, where you belong, and maybe some of our listeners have found themselves there, too. Mm-hmm. Today, we're going to talk about when Jesus stripped himself of an identity that he'd had since the beginning of time, and he did it for a specific purpose. Yeah, and,
1: it, and it's, it's not comparable to anything no. that any of us could have gone no, through. No, it's
0: much greater. I mean, yeah, th- this I is huge. I
1: yeah, I don't think we'll ever understand why he left until we go to heaven and we realize when we celebrate christmas we are recognizing that he left heaven which mm-hmm. we right now don't fully know what it looks like we only have revelation through god's word to he left that to come and redeem us and you know he this came to this is the... a
0: story we'll never fully yes. understand we really yes. won't now if you are a regular listener to this program you realize that last week we started a study of the birth of christ and we started in the old testament as we looked at the prophecies predicting the the coming of the messiah and uh, this week, we've been looking at a kind of a theological view about what this is all about, and then we'll we'll uh, proceed by, by talking about the event itself as we move through uh, these four weeks of, of studies about the birth of Jesus.
1: Yeah, so we're looking at five different uh, statements of in the New Testament during this, this week that actually explain the, the Jesus' birth, what impact did it have, and how did it really happen from a greater point of view of our redemption. And today we're looking at uh, Philippians chapter 2. Now, Philippians is um, a very interesting book because Paul writes while he's in prison, and yet, the main topic of the book of Philippians, of the letter to the Philippians, is joy. I yeah. mean, how, how paradoxical is that?
0: It, it, only only an experience with Jesus can give you the ability to write a letter about joy, I and mean, experiencing joy in the presence of God while you are in prison. And, and prison in those days was not quite what it is today. There was no society for the protection of the rights of prisoners, you know, like we have today. No people looking after the environment of where a prisoner is housed. Yes, it, it it was was bad. N- this yeah. was not a pleasant situation to mm-hmm. be in, and yet in the midst of that squalor, in the midst of that horrible situation, the Apostle Paul found joy and shared that with the believers of yes, Philippi. it's
1: incredible. And actually, I went to Philippi and I saw the cave that supposedly was the, the jail mm-hmm. where he was. And and it was unbelievable that he actually could write uh, this. Uh, if you look in a concordance, the word joy, you'll see how many times in this book he repeats mm-hmm. the word joy. And, and the fact that, you know, he decides to take this letter and teach about Christian living, but in the midst of this teaching of Christian living, we get this Christological hymn, which is a hymn that many people believe that the first century church used, in which what Christ has done is explained almost in detail, and and actually is done in a poetic way, like it would be a song. Mm-hmm. And this song is found actually in Philippians 2, starting with verse 6 to 11, but we're going to pick it up on verse 5 of chapter 2. It says,
0: 2. have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men.
1: Okay, so this is how this hymn starts. It's very interesting that um, this hymn starts Before the incarnation, it starts Mm -hmm. before the night of Christmas, before God became flesh. And he's trying to give us, what did it look like before Jesus became Jesus?
0: And he's telling us that Jesus was God that he had all the rights and privileges and all the adoration that came to God pre-existent, uh, omnipresent, omniscient he all of those things belonged to Jesus and he decided for the sake of the inhabitants of the rebellious inhabitants of one tiny little planet to lay that aside to empty himself and to be a servant in fact the, more like a slave
1: yes 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 it's very interesting because it says here he existed before the incarnation before Christmas in the form of God that was yeah. his form He yeah. was God God, and he could have held on to those rights and say, mm-hmm. look, I'm God. I'm never going down there.
0: And who's going to argue with God?
1: Yes, yes. And, and he God could have, is God.
0: He doesn't have to do anything else, doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. And
1: he could have uh, held on to that. Mm-hmm. He had to give up all kinds of prerogatives to become a baby in a manger. He had to give up his right to be God. You know, when I was a little child, uh, you know, I, I had God-fearing parents, and They explained to me the gospel of the incarnation of Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and then the death through uh, an ant hole. I don't know if anybody else has done this, probably. They Mm -hmm. said, look, look at all those little ants. Imagine that you, a human being, will become an ant to save all the ants, all the the whole community. And and I did imagine that as a child. And Mm -hmm. they said, well... This is the beginning of a glimpse of what God had to do for us. If
0: you've ever gotten ants in your kitchen, <laughs> you, the last thing on earth you want to do is to save them, and yet, you know, we were the rebellious ants against God. They, we were ants in the kitchen, and yet God Himself said, "I want to save them." And so, here's what I'm going to do. Not only am I going to strip myself of divinity and all the rights and prerogatives that I'm going to lay that aside, mm-hmm. but I'm also going to enter into this this world in one of the most humble ways you can. I'm going to be a baby born without a home, so to speak, in a. Danger, you yes. know, in, a, in a, a, a barn. Even worse than that is more like a cave or a dugout in a wall mm-hmm. where animals would stay. That's where I'm going to be born to to a mother who's not yet married, but only betrothed <laughs> to her husband.
1: And you know, it's it's difficult to grasp how much. Uh, Jesus actually emptied himself of being God. In And in verse 7 of, of Philippians chapter 2 says, he emptied himself, taking the form, remember mm-hmm. that we just talked about he was in the form of God. Yeah. Now he's taking the form of a bondservant, of a slave. Of a
0: slave, someone whose entire life is dedicated to the service of someone else. Yes. His, his entire existence is for somebody else, and somebody else's pleasure and needs and uh, and, and existence.
1: On top of that, he says he's now going to be made in the likeness of man. Now, he's God, but he's also going to be man. And of the men, the the most uh, humiliated one. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after that second part, see, think of this him as in parts. First, pre-incarnation, then what he meant to be incarnated, becoming a, a man, and of that, a slave. Yeah. And now we're going to go to the cross. He,
0: he didn't come as the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> Which he could have. He could have. Mm-hmm. He did not come as a great king of, of a great nation. He came as the... the Thought to be illegitimate son of a poor man, mm-hmm. uh, and, in fact, unwed mother, and born in very humble circumstances, that's what he chose to do.
1: That's right. And then the text continues saying, "What well, on top of that, he was in the appearance as a man and he humbles himself in the worst possible death, mm-hmm. which was the death on a cross. So pre-incarnation, then we come to the humility of becoming a man, then we come on the death, and then we go post-incarnation to what Jesus was made, how he was exalted because of what he did.
0: Yeah. and, and this death on a cross is significant because remember the Jews had a saying, you know, cursed is he who who dies upon a tree, who hangs upon a tree. And that's exactly what Jesus, cursed. he was yeah. cursed uh, because of his death on a tree on the cross.
1: You know, he said it himself, Jesus in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, as he talks about himself, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it's interesting that Paul starts the hymn by saying, well, try to have that attitude that God had. Yeah. Try to to have that attitude in mm-hmm. you. What, what a challenge, isn't it, in well, Christmas season?
0: Our Redeemer produces a different attitude in us. When we recognize what Jesus did for us and what He sacrificed on our behalf, it changes how we view Him, it changes how we view ourselves, and ultimately changes how we view everyone else in the world. Because Christ did that not just for you, not just for me, but for everyone around us, e- even that person who is your enemy. And Paul is saying, that love should change you so that you have that that attitude towards those around you. That's one of the messages of Christmas this year for us. Thank you for joining us today on Jesus 101. For more insights and resources, connect with us at Jesus101.tv. That's Jesus101.tv. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Jesus101institute. And follow us on Twitter at Jesus101media. Until next time, live free.